0: Unspoken issues. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues podcast. We are heading into the future. We've been here before. I think we've done a episode in twenty ninety nine in the twenty ninety nine universe at one point. Just go back in the archives; you could probably find it. I think we covered one single issue, but this time we are giving it the Unspoken Epics treatment, and we are going a total of eight issues of Ghost Rider. 2099. And, of course, I am not alone. Dean Compton is here with me. Dean, are you ready to talk some Ghost Rider 2099 right here tonight? Broom, broom, motherfucker. Let's go. Let's, Let's go. go.
1: Let's go. Let's f- go. This is a... It's a fantastic comic book that is unfortunately overlooked and underrated by a lot of people. Uh, the 2099 imprint or line, if you will, it does get a good amount of love, especially now. You know, especially now, it seems like it's aged pretty well for a lot of people. But Ghost Rider 2099 is arguably the best of it, and it doesn't really get mentioned with the rest. We'll talk about some of those reasons, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I if I had a motorcycle helmet, I'd put it on. <laughs>
0: All right. Safety first. Wouldn't wouldn't be good pod audio, though. But hey, that's all right. Derry, wait, welcome back again to, of course, the Unspoken Issues podcast. It's Ghostwriter 2099, and I want to ask, is this the first time you read this, or did you read this when when it was dropping on the shelves? Yeah,
2: I, I read this as it was coming out originally. I loved all the 2099 books. I was the perfect age to be like, This is combining science fiction with names I already know. And it's starting with issue number one. I can get in on the ground floor. All the number ones had the sweet hollow foil. I took this line. I took to this line, hook, line, and sinker. They had me. And uh, I probably never finished it back in the day. But um, I definitely read it. And I've reread it since. And uh, it holds up. It's one of those books where every once in a while I'll mention it. And someone's like, oh, that's got to be a terrible
0: comic. And I'm like, nope. Read it. It is, it is pure good sci-fi fun. So Dean did, were you picking up this off the, uh, were you stealing this off the shelf? <laughs> be ready folks. Soviet <laughs> no. super soldier is going to be airing sometime soon. But anyway, right. go, right. <laughs> go did
1: I steal this off the shelves? <laughs> no, I did. I did buy issue one. Okay. I remember that cause I got it because it had a fancy cover. And, um, I was—it was really funny because I loved reading comics, but I also thought that these things would be worth a lot. And so, like, I was like, oh, look at this. Lenticular hollow foil cover? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. This okay. this is going to be worth more than gold in a few years. It's not. But uh, I did pick that up. I don't think I was able to get all of the issues. Uh, very quickly, because as I've told y'all before, the comic book store in my hometown closed. I was keeping up with basically everything through Wizard because Wizard was still carried at Walmart and Kroger. And so I would read about it when the, and they actually were kind of on the train. Like, hey, this is a good comic book. And I would read the blurb and I was so good at extrapolation with like my eighth and ninth grade pals. I could read <laughs> that blurb and just pretend like I read it and they would just buy it. They'd be like, oh, you must. I was like, oh, i yeah, pick that up. <laughs> I have it. I read like three sentences. The uh, the late. Pat McLaughlin, I think, uh, you know, the guy from Wizard the Editor-in-Chief who just passed away, like, that he wrote, you know what I mean? Like, I just had these three sentences. God bless it, by the way. So I was keeping up with it, but not picking it up. And I read it for the first time, I think around 2009, when I'd gotten fired from Cartoon Network, and I was bored, I had anything to do. So I read all the 2099 books. A lot of them don't stand out as well as Ghost Rider 2099 for a lot of reasons we'll get into, but um, uh, it's kind of like y'all know when action figures have like the one guy who doesn't seem to go anywhere like Zodak with the masters of the universe or like, you know, some of the GI Joes you're like, is this guy what's going on? He doesn't quite fit. That's Ghost Rider 2099 with the 2099 line. Mm. It's not like it doesn't belong, but it doesn't fit as neatly as some other things.
0: Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Our first issue hits, looks like, cover date May of 94, on sale date March 15th of 94, thanks to Mike's amazing world of comics there. Ghost Rider 2099, written by Lynn Kaminsky. So, Dean, you got some thoughts on Lynn Kaminsky?
1: You know, Lynn Kaminsky is arguably the most underrated Marvel writer of the mid-90s. I mean, he created the Hulkbuster, he created War Machine, co-created with his artists, obviously. He'd be the first to tell you that. He's a very nice guy. And of course, he did Ghost Rider 2099. He did. um, I mean, I mean, his name pops up an awful lot for somebody who doesn't get uh, remembered as much versus the amount of work he put out or how impactful that work has been. Because Mm -hmm. like Hulkbuster has been, you know, Mm -hmm. a thing in the movies, and War Machine has been, you know, he's a household name at this point. So I've always enjoyed Kaminsky's work. I, I I really like it here. Because, um, you know, like I said, he wrote like Iron Man for a long time. And this is a guy who obviously read a lot of cyberpunk, he read a lot of uh, techno noir. And so he's influenced by these things and he's able to bring an appreciation for the nuances of the dark side of technology and the dark places that technology can go here in Ghost Rider 2099 and a different side of the dark spaces that technology could go in his Iron Man work. So I'm, a, I'm really a big fan, big fan of the person, big fan of the work.
2: Yeah, Kaminsky's one of these guys where I liked everything. I read by him before I knew his name. And then I was like, why am I enjoying this so much? And I look it up and it's like, oh, yeah, everything I like was written by this guy from that <laughs> that window. Uh, and it's funny, too, because, you know, he, he did write in the mid-90s when I was reading pretty much everything from from Marvel. So he's just a guy where I look up his bibliography and it's like, oh, man, I've read everything that you wrote and it was all great. <laughs> and, and, and the funny thing, too, is, you know, I, I, I think I say this a lot, but, like, he knows how to write. It didn't appear to be just I got a deadline to meet because his yeah. stuff holds up. You can't read much of the contemporaries of the twenty nine nine line. 20, 30 years later, they, they don't hold up. They, they are not very good. Um, but this does. And that's because, you know, Kaminsky looked at this and said, well, wait a second, I have to actually tell a story. Uh, my favorite thing by him and no one ever talks about it is called avatars, which was this weird three issue is Avengers thing. The Avengers
1: book. Yeah, I this- remember reading that and liking it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's kind of similar to when Perez and Busey take over at the first. Yes. And it's like medieval Avengers, but it's not that.
2: It's the weirdest book it's cool I, as hell. is great. The guy at the, the comic book store that Wednesday recommended, he saw me looking at the shelves and he's like, listen, I'm not trying to take money out of your pocket, but no one is buying this. It's amazing. I picked it up. I got all three issues. I must've read that book a hundred times. And then one day it occurred to me, this is the same guy I liked on Iron Man and War Machine and all those other books from, from years ago. And it's just one of those things where like, if I see Glenn Kaminsky's name on something, I buy it. We've, we've lucked out in the sense that it's, usually a dollar book like i have cleaned right. up at conventions just going around and being like excuse me is that say kaminsky i will take that and it's like three bucks and it's worth the money it's less than the price of a cup of coffee and it's worth the money so
1: i think another writer. thing that i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but that that makes Ghost Rider 2099 hold up versus some of the other elements of the other 2099 books although i do think punisher and doom and uh, a lot of spider-man of the 2099 books holds up fairly well People talk about George Orwell from 1984, 1984. They're like, oh, he was writing about a possible future. But he wasn't. George Orwell was writing about how he saw the world at that time. And I think that with when you read Ghost Rider 2099, it's the same sense. If you're reading it at the time, you could be like, oh, this is about po- a possible future. But Lynn Kaminsky was writing about what he saw then. Corporations had too much power. We were on the verge of technological breakthroughs that were going to change the way society interface. The media had, was controlled by a small amount of corporate interests. They would not allow stories that besmirched uh, big business to go forth. There was a very cozy relationship between the police and big business, et cetera, et cetera. And again, that sound, people like, oh, that sounds familiar. And it does, but that's because Kaminsky saw it as that way then. When you write something about those kind of timeless themes in a way, it makes your work timeless if you're really great at it. Kaminsky achieved that here.
2: Yeah, and he, you know, it's funny too. He he kind of backed up his words because the the I read the single issues and all the letters pages are like, hey, come chat with the writer online. CompuServe,
0: buddy. I saw that, yeah. I didn't even know. The first
1: issue was actually released on CompuServe. No uh, kidding. A month before, um, I read this in Hero Illustrated at the time, about a month before the book came out in print. So if you were in like the Marvel (laughs) folder or whatever it would have been then, because I never used CompuServe or AOL or Prodigy, I was, Netscape Navigator, baby, from the start. Um, t- two point one. Do you remember we used to argue about Netscape Navigator versus like Internet Explorer, or like when there was a new Netscape you get excited. That's a sidetrack, but um, uh, but like it got down, like you could download it and stuff. Yeah, this you can tell from reading this book. And just like when we did the Hacker Book, the Hacker Files. Yeah, yeah uh, good this one. guy knows what he's talking about. Even though some of the terms are laughable now, he's like, I got twenty gigs of RAM. I got two terabytes of comic books, motherfucker. But like at the time, this was. You know, There's no way he could have known, you know what I mean? Like, this But is, yeah, you're right. He did put his money where his mouth is.
2: If you had tried to explain to, I, I don't know, even my parents at the time this thing came out, like, I need to get to CompuServe to talk about this Ghostwriter comic I bought at the corner store, they would have looked at me like I was crazy. So, I, I mean, the fact that he was actually...
1: Crazier than normal.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the fact that he was living in this space and saying, this is how we're going to do this is incredible because i mean think about now like they don't even have letters pages they just they just take tweets and they put them in the back right. of the book which is fine that's how people communicate today but it's like you know this comic is from 1994 and he's already talking about that stuff he was ahead of the curve so when he writes yeah. about this it's not a person using terms they don't understand like yeah the you know the details might be a little weird but for the most part he's using it correctly like he is he is taking that william gibson that cyberpunk aesthetic and he's using the terms accurately so it holds up today yeah it's it's cutesy but it's not like someone's talking about like how much ram their television has like the the terms work the theory works
0: so i just i really i appreciate the the craft the guy put into these disposable comics this is hitting shelves probably about the time when I first realized like what the Internet was. I, I was over at my buddy's house. He had a 386 computer and Shit. we were sitting there at his house and he's like, you ever heard, hear of Yahoo? And I'm like, what is Yahoo? It's 94. I mean, legitimately, it had to have been right around this time, because we moved in 93 to where I was closer to where I could visit him by walking down to his house or whatever. Probably right around this time is when I start learning about the Internet. All right. For our first three issues of Ghost Rider 2099, Lynn Kaminsky is going to be writing all three issues. Breakdowns are Chris Bocello, for all three issues, with an assist by Peter Gross on issue number three. Finishes are Mark Buckingham on all three issues, with an assist by Kev Sutherland on issue three. Letters by Richard Starkings on all three issues, with assists by John Goshell on issues one and two, and then it's credited as Comicraft with the assist on issue three. And then colors are by Christy Shield with Heroic Age on all three issues. Issue one story is titled Burning Chrome. Issue number two, which has a cover date of June of 1994, has a story title of Detonation Boulevard, and then July of 1994, issue number three, story titled Search and Destroy. Well, let's get into, uh, I can tell you that our first issue is definitely going to have an hour. I think that's Chris Bacello. Is that the way to pronounce that? Do you guys know? Boccalo. I saw Bacolo and then I was like, I've heard Bacello before. I don't, but I don't know. I don't know. He's, okay. He's
1: obviously one of the all-time greats, so. Yeah. yeah. It's,
0: it, it's beautiful.
1: It's it, weird when you go back and look like, because like at the time, I don't know that he was thought of as a star. And then I wasn't as uh, my finger on the pulse. And so when I came back, he was like a big star. And I'm like. Y'all, that guy's been drawn forever. Why is he just now a star? He's great.
2: You know, it's 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 funny. I I, I think that happens a lot where, you know, a guy will work for years. And for whatever reason, the style hasn't codified. He hasn't, you know, hit on the the, the book he's going to be known for. And then suddenly everyone will be like, man, where did this guy come from? And then you'll see his name on books from 20, 30 years ago. Like, right. I two examples popped to mind. I remember when Greg Capullo started on Batman and all the guys at my store were like, yeah. this is the greatest artist of all time. Where has he been? And I'm sitting here with a stack of Spawn comics. I'm right. like, Are you mm-hmm. people kidding me? Like, I've been right, telling you right. about him for years.
1: <laughs> he did uh, an obscure property called X-Force a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah,
2: exactly, oh, yeah. but he didn't look like Greg Capullo when he got to spawn. And yeah, know he developed. Yeah, Todd was like, "Listen, you, I like the way you draw. Do whatever you want. If I don't like it, I'll let you know. But if I like it, you know, go, go, uh go, do your thing." And then the other one who always drives me crazy is Steve Lieber, who I love, who is one yeah. of my favorite artists of all time. But the guy's been in the industry like longer than I've been reading comics, and every once in a while, I'll see his name on something from like. Way longer ago than I thought. I'd be like, man, you you have come into your own, sir. Congratulations. Many, many more Eisners in your future, I think.
1: Mike Diodato Jr. is the same for me, too. Like, all of a sudden, everybody seemed to be into him.
0: And I was like, hasn't he been doing comics a long time? We're going to get into our first three issues in 2099. In the futuristic Transverse City, Kinshiro Cochran, or Zero as he is known on the streets, spends his days and nights hacking into large corporations and stealing information as a data thief. When he and his group of friends known as the Hotwire Martyrs are attacked by a warlord named Jeter and his gang, the Artificial Kids, with a Z, Zero is shot trying to escape. Finding a vid phone, Zero calls his girlfriend, Kylie, and slips an encrypted message to her just before Jeter finds Zero to finish the job. Now, before he dies, Zero throws his consciousness into the net and is drawn to a hidden part of the web called the Ghostworks. Ghostworks offers Zero the opportunity to be the antiviral agent to a diseased society in a new form. He accepts and his consciousness is put into the body of a massively powerful machine that resembles that of the late 20th century Ghost Rider. Now, I want to just stop real quick and, Derek, I'm throwing it to you. Tell me about the appearance of Ghost Rider in 2099, if we're going to call him that. We're going to call him that right now. But tell me what we see on the page, what this Ghost Rider looks like. I love this because again it's just such good craft but the first
2: time you see the character outside of the cover is this double page spread where it's again if you had asked 10 year old me to be like redesign the ghost rider it would be this this science fiction monstrosity and I love everything about it the, the they tell you later in the text that what you're seeing is a hologram projected on on basically a terminator endoskeleton which is why he's like a you know he's got a skull and whatnot So it's all like holographic, fire with early computer effects the bike he's driving is a cross between what you see lobo on what you see Kaneda and akira use like it's very much of the moment Dread's and then lawgiver yeah exactly i mean this this whole thing borrows very heavily from from the william gibson the sprawl neuromancer cyberpunk stuff but also dread i, I mean transverse city is very much like Mega City one this book is yeah this this bike is a lawgiver i mean it's 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 loyal to its influences, but it it becomes its own thing. And what I love is right across the chassis, it says Burning Chrome, which is the famous, I think it's the first short story where the term cyberpunk is even used. So like Kaminsky is saying up front, like, I know what I've taken from, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not trying to hide anything, which I thought considering the medium we're considering is really good. The other thing I liked about this is it it has no connection to the previous ones. No one brings up Johnny blaze or Dan Ketch or anyone else. And it's just like,
1: yeah, exactly. No no Xerathos. You you
2: look like a guy on fire. No death watch, no death watch, but I I do like death watch. We should do that. He's
1: got a katana.
2: I just thought it was cool because it was like, well, in the 40s and the 60s, you had Carter Slate or whatever he was called back then. And then in the the 70s, you have Johnny Blaze and the 90s, you got Dan Ketch and now you got Zero Cochran and they don't really necessarily have anything to do with each other. And it's just like, are you a big skeleton who's on fire? Great. You get this name. Go have fun. You know, there's no magic here. There's no nothing. It's like Alan Scott and Hal Jordan. It's like you both have the name.
0: You're taking it in very different directions. I look forward to the inevitable crossover. This machine is badass looking. So Zero gets a new body. Uh, and with his new body, Zero goes to find Jeter and learns the mega Corporation, demonics contracted Jeter to kill the Hotwire martyrs after they recently stole a very private bit of info called the Singapore File. Now, as the new Ghost Rider Zero plans to confront Demonics, but first must deal with the incoming Secura cops and attack units while also dealing with his waning power levels. Now, Kylie, we mentioned Kylie. She's been worried about Zero since his last phone call and wants to find him, but uh, she needs a cyber jock to kind of piece things together with this last video that sh- uh, he gave her. Uh, enter Dr. Neon, who... Offers his services at a local bar. He says, look, I could help you out if you need it. And they take a look at the last vid conversation. He jumps into the data. He finds the encrypted info and begins to decipher it just as the Secura cops show up at Kylie's door to arrest them. Now, meanwhile, demonics is realizing there is a connection with this Ghost Rider Zero and their missing file. Not only that, they have captured one of Zero's friends, Werewolf. W-A-R-E-W-O-L-F. After sedating him for some time, they release him. Werewolf runs into Zero at the local bar and Zero shows him, hey man, check it out, I can change into the Ghost Rider now. I can change it, I, I can change, uh, change my body. Sam. <laughs> And just when he does that, a nanotech subroutine is activated in Werewolf, and he becomes a large cybernetic W E R E Werewolf with one command kill Ghost Rider. Boom. I had a <laughs> one through three is done right there. Well, the most important thing that this comic book may get
1: right, in all honest, is it's called Ghost Rider, and it starts off really fast. The number one thing this comic book may get wrong is it's called Ghost Rider. He doesn't do as much writing as you'd like to see. There's a lot of <laughs> standing and fighting. Right. But that having been said, these first three issues are, are utterly fantastic. They're very... there's a They throw a lot at you. Kaminsky expects you to keep up. Like, that you're supposed to, you know... And then, like, I remember when I first read this way back in the day, I had a little trouble, you know? I mean, there's a lot of new terms. And like y'all said, I hadn't really... I knew the internet was a thing. The information (laughs) superhighway. And it was out there and people were surfing it. It was also a web. It's a lot of turnt. You know, I would have known, like, some of this stuff. So you expect you to at least keep up or at least least know how it works in context. And I really appreciate that. I think all of the visuals are great. I find it very interesting when the ghost works, like, approximate different media uh, personalities from the 20th century, I think, Rod Serling and David Letterman and right. uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. He also really gets over very quickly uh, that, listen, Nueva York in the 2099 line, it's not like it's a great place, but it is streamlined in a very shiny matter. Transverse City is dirty. Transverse City is very much, you know, it's it's a lot, more, I would describe it as it's a, uh, it's Judge Dredd 2000 AD meets uh, Shadow Ruck. There's oh. a lot of importance placed on technology, information, bio upgrades, etc. It's got a lot of Ghost in the Shell influence as well. Or at least, you know, they came out around the same time. I don't know, if, well, the movie did. I don't, I don't know the manga. But uh, it's got all that to where it feels very much like it's still in the same world because of the uh, similar narratives, uh, corporations controlling too many things, corrupt police, et cetera. But it feels like it's way around the corner than the other 2099 stuff, to the point where like, you know, the big bad in 2099 is like Alchemax, which, you know, it sounds like any company. It sounds like what a, a prescription drug that you're going to get because, you know, you, you, your butt's falling off. But my God, your your eyes might fall out if you take it. Don't forget about the side <laughs> effects. It's Alchemex, Demonics. Well, that's a very interesting thing to name your company if you were looking to have a good public image, unless you were in a place where the way to win was to be you know, savage and dirty and just let everybody know up front that, you know, you not that you dish it out and you're not going to fucking take it. So I, I think that, that, I think that, you know, it really does a great job. These first three issues, getting everybody over, getting all of the characters lined up well to where like, you want to learn more about them, but everything isn't revealed. Underrated in this comic book is the boardroom machinations that start here where you have, what's the guy's name? Harrison.
0: Harrison and
1: with, uh you know, the, he wants this disc, and if he can get it, he thinks the information will get him ahead. Has a very RoboCop feel. RoboCop had some of that going on, too. And so what I'm saying here is it's really neat that Kaminsky really didn't miss a piece of cyberpunk influence. And he made it all synthesized in a way that also fit into the greater Marvel 2099 universe. I'm very impressed.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the the setting how kind of dirty Transverse City is. Uh, one of my notes here was the artwork and the use of gray tones to really get that across yeah. because, you know, they'll be walking down the street, and the only thing that's popping at you is the character, obviously, and everything else is, like, just grungy and nasty. Look, trash is flying around in the background or something. What about um, this
1: idea of a city? You know, like, it's not even really a city. It's like, what, an 18-lane highway? Built right, dude. It? No, it's not even, like, because... It was never really designed for this. It's what it's become, probably because the area around it can't be lived in. This is a place for you to go. You know, like who's going to look for you under an off ramp if you're like, you know. A, a transient from what used to be Indiana, or what the fuck ever. It, it, it's honestly a fascinating idea. Like I would, I would read a Tales of Transverse City thing because there's so many things that you could do with it. Like later on, when the big rave is between these on ramps, and then some of the people who are like in this first issue, he's asking for help after he gets shot with the psycho drug. And, like, that guy's like, get away, I don't want to be involved. And he's like, stupid up So, apparently, there's even a hierarchy on these people who are just right. really in a permanent commute. What a fucking, like, state, what, what a statement about then and now. Like, just, wow. It's mind-blowing how accurately it portrays both times. And sadly, we'll probably be timeless.
0: The other thing I want to pop in here is, and you guys have mentioned it already, we're using a lot of uh, what I think, I've heard termed future speak, which is, you know, we're we're all sorts, we're we're putting ourselves into that future era. So we've got to combine terms and we got to use this. Demonics, by the way, folks, D slash Monics, kind of like the drive on your computer. So that's that's a neat way of... (laughs) <laughs> it's a great way of kind of uh, you know putting that spin on that evil corporation. But one of the things I'll just say right now, I mean, I know this is 94, so they, they aren't seeing specifically what's going to be happening in, you know, from 100 years from now. But the trend that I'm noticing here is that words don't get combined anymore. Words just get shortened in our era. Like I have noticed like suspect is now sus amongst the kids. That's really sus. If you ask me, there is a war on syllables folks. And that's (laughs) (laughs) what's happening. Uh, That's what you can expect in 2099, 70 years from this date, there'll be way less. We're too lazy to use too many syllables. Uh, Two things.
2: (laughs) First, for anyone who's never had the privilege of uh, knowing Dean Compton the way we do, listening to Zero once he's become the ghostwriter and talk about how he is the cure oh. for the modern world. Get to that. This is this is it. This is it, ladies and gents. You, you yeah. You, you read this out loud, you throw a couple of y'alls in there, that's that's it. That's that's my <laughs> life. Uh, and I love it and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but but I gotta say this is the first time I have ever read this book or any other where where a person's voice worked into the dialogue and instead of it being, you know, Kevin Conroy or Chris Evans, it was Dean Compton. And I'm hearing his voice as Zero is talking, and it happened as naturally as it could, and I welcomed it. The the well, Let me second... give you
1: this so that you can use it next time. Fascist pus bags.
2: <laughs> Perfect. The the other thing that struck me on this read, and I never noticed it before, and I'm probably reading too much into it, is I think Zero is supposed to be Jesus Christ. I really do. I think that I think that there's a lot in here. Some of it's subtle, some of it's not, about this guy who dies comes back and who's like, I'm going to fix things. You're not going to like the way I fix things. It's going to cause a lot of sacrifice on your side, but this is the only way we're all going to make it. And a couple of things I point to from all the media we've mentioned from that period of time uh robocop remains my favorite i I think that movie is yeah it's 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 a flawless action film science fiction film and social commentary film it holds up just as well today uh miguel ferrara who's in that movie is the name basis for miguel o'hara who is spider-man 2099 so it's got some more relevance to this you know that movie famously is seen as a christ allegory as well alex Murphy is murdered, he comes back as a Robocop, he tries to do the right thing, he walks on water, all that nonsense. Um, I'm not a religious person, but here it's kind of the same thing. You know, Zero is part of the martyrs gang. Uh, He's killed by an aggressive force. He meets, you know, the the ghost within the machine. He comes back. He's got a new form. He tries to make amends. And then he tries to aggressively change everything. And I was just struck here about the the level of sacrifice that Zero has to make, uh, what he has to give up, and, and how he keeps going. Going. You know, we will get to it a little bit later, but the issue number eight that we end with for this reread ends in a pretty tragic place. But instead of giving up. He's kind of like, well, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. And it's kind of funny too, because, you know, this is, this is a Marvel trope, but you, you probably wouldn't see it as much in other books, but at no point does Zero say, well, I want my old body back. You you know, you never hear like Matt Murdock saying, I want to see or something like that. It's kind of like, I got into this position. I got to work through it. I got to find a way around it. And I like that with Zero, where it was like, he did die. He understands it, he's kind of embracing his new form. So the whole time I'm reading this, I'm just like, is Len, is, is Mr. Kaminsky, I've never met the man, trying to say something a little bit more complicated, that there's a little bit more nuance and responsibility with the amazing technology we're about to have? And reading it in 2022, I was struck about how much
1: we failed him. <laughs> I'm yeah, glad you elaborated. I don't elaborated. Think has a laser chainsaw yet. So not yet. Laser, not yet, mm-hmm. but give it you know, six months, I'm give sure. Me, give me a little time. I uh, just you know, there is certainly, like, you can, you can definitely see, you know, if you... The, the, the Jesus allegory to an extent, you know, I, I don't know, like I said, I don't know if that was intended, but you can certainly see it. And um, the ghost works, I think, you know, we glossed over them. But like, as much as Zero, you said, you know, is my voice or whatever. I guess those guys are like, you know, Noam Chomsky and Mikhail Bakunin, because like, they're like... Hey listen, we we need humanity to exist so that we don't like die. Or at least that's the story they're telling as we as you find out maybe they're not as trustworthy as as they come across at first. But hey, they did give this guy the uh laser chainsaw, which you know, that does tie into the Christ allegory as well because he also had a laser chainsaw based on what I have read in the New Testament. <laughs>
0: Dude, do you have any idea how over Jesus Christ would be if he would have come out of that tomb and just went, Vengeance!
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, first off, what he should do is he should do it like Chainsaw Charlie and cut his way with the laser Chainsaw through the freaking, like, stone and he puts push his face yes.
0: Like, oh, shit, I guess we're in trouble.
1: Comes out, vengeance! Vengeance! People are, like, trying to, like, sit and pilot, like, smoke signals, like, running as fast as he can. Anyhow... All apologies to any Christians who think that that oh, was. Secular. Oh man! So, oh yeah, Siri. I'm not trying to start anything. No, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to, to, to shit on Christianity. Uh,
0: I'm, so. I'm editing your apology out. Funny. Don't worry about it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. It's I tell you, my a, my. You, my th- I was going to hell anyway. I don't have to. worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, pack my bags. My three favorite panels out of the first issue. I want to. I just want to throw this out there. Is when before zero is finding his way to the vid phone he like trashes that uh i don't know like he just takes that baseball bat and crashes a window and he says oh man this civilization sucks and then there's a sign on the side and you would you see it in the second panel but then it's you know that third panel everything must go and i'm like that's a statement right there buddy i love that. that is
1: yeah (laughs) and i think it's very interesting when it comes to cyberpunk and like Techno noir stuff and like the future, like it's always like gray. It's usually raining, and there's always like a store that has like thirty seven fucking TVs in the window. Oh yeah, somebody almost always smashes it up. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like this is this is the thing, like like. It's in Robocop. It's in Ghost in the Shell. It's in, uh, I think it's in Johnny Mnemonic. I think, it, you know, it's in like a lot of these things, you know. I mean, I'm not complaining. I love it. But it was great to see it here. And also, yeah, the civilization sucks. I posted that on my Facebook like me every day. These guys are liars. The civilization sucks. Everything was go. Like you said, just, just you know, Dean Zero over here. All right. like <laughs> Zero conflict.
0: I love it. All right. Well, let's go ahead. We'll get into the uh, second set of issues here, issues four, five, and six. And as we get into issues four, five, and six, I'll give you the creative team for these three issues. Again, written by Lynn Kaminsky for all three issues. Breakdowns by Peter Gross on issue four and Mark Buckingham on issue five. And then Kyle Hots on issue number six. Finishes. Mark Buckingham with the assist by Kev Sutherland on issues four and five. And then there's no finish credits on issue number six. Letters, Richard Starkings with Comicraft on issues four and five. And just Comicraft is credited for issue six. And then colors, Christy Shield with Heroic Age once again on all three issues. Issue number four of Ghost Rider 2099 has a cover date of August of 1994 and a story titled Uncontrollable Urge. And then issue number five has a story titled Rage Against the Machine, which has a cover date of September of 1994. And then October of 1994, issue number six, with a story titled NeuroPolitik. So in issue four, Werewolf and Ghost Rider battle it out on the streets, gaining the attention of the media and attack units as well. During the fight, Werewolf tries to fight the command of attacking Zero, but cannot overcome these directives. Werewolf begs Ghost Rider to kill him just as the attack units show up, charging an anti-particle generator and firing it. Werewolf takes the brunt of the blast, getting mortally wounded. But before dying, he lets Zero know "Demonic's is the one that did this to him. Specifically two people, Fomack and Harrison. So Ghost Rider, Zero, goes after the attack units and makes them pay for Werewolf and then is off. To demonics. Meanwhile, at demonics, Womack brings Dr. Neon and Kylie to their headquarters, where they also find the disc with Zero's encrypted message. Womack gives it to Harrison to decipher, and Kylie and Dr. Neon are taken down to neuro neurointer- interrogation. Neuro interrogation, and attempts are underway to reverse engineer Ghost Rider's bike. Slipping past security, Ghost Rider infiltrates demonics, first confronting Womack and then finding Harrison. As at this moment, we learn that Harrison is actually Zero's father.
2: Uh-oh, uh-oh. Right.
0: Horrified at his ho- at his outcast son's new transformation, he tells Zero where to find Kylie and his bike, exclaiming to his father he is going to burn down demonics and everything else around him. Zero then starts by destroying the Singapore data file. Itself, his father that it was just about to decrypt. Zero then reacquires his bike and heads down to neurointerrogation to rescue Kylie and Dr. Neon. But once there, he sees his own dead body lying on the table. He ponders for a second, trying to maybe figure out a way to put his consciousness back in, reboot his body, but quickly decides to unleash his laser eyes and incinerate it. Ghost Rider then escapes with Dr. Neon and an unconscious Kylie uh, who he then takes to Mediquick. It's like McDonald's but <laughs> for medical reasons. Here, Zero learns he needs to get some neutropine to try and get Kylie out of the vegetative state she's in, and through some of his contacts, he meets up with a person by the name of Max Synergy. Max tells Ghost Rider that he cannot make the neutropine unless he gets an essential but rare chemical that can only be found at the company that creates it, Alchemax. He's often, did you see he said Nueva, is that is, is that what it's called in 2099? They don't refer to it in this
2: book as New okay. York. They just say New York. Thank but you. yeah, the the whole gimmick was that if you were reading the Spider-Man story, New York had built so far up and so far out and was so cosmopolitan as far as like different groups and ethnicities that the, the people now refer to it as Nueva York. And that was their way of saying, well, this is how separated. But if you went down, it's like in Futurama, if you go right. down to the original There's street New New level... York. Yeah, yeah. It's it's if you go down to the original street level, it's all crap. It's
0: like it's like how they have New New York and New York, old New York. Gotcha. So okay. Simple. Well, in a small epilogue, Ghostworks is pleased that the data file has been destroyed so that humans will never find them, and now they prepare for stage two. Whatever that stage is going to be, whatever that is, we don't know. But uh there you go. That's where we want to end it. Issues four through six. So Derry, you get the floor first here, buddy. What are your thoughts? The thing that comes, I
2: keep coming back to, is like when he, when you know, when he sees his body, and he's just like, "Oh, that's nice," and then he just gets rid of it because it's this act of like, you know. Any, I feel like in another story, he would have left it there, and he would have been like, "Well, let's let's come back to that." But it's very obvious, like from the get-go, like that's not the story here. The story is not how can I get back there because all of his dialogue and all of his um all of his actions up until this point have been like, no, I I exist as myself. Whatever form that happens to take, it's just the signal, you, you know, to, to quote like the Matrix or something. It's like, I exist as this entity and regardless of what form it is, I'm still me. So I thought that was really, really interesting because again, it's this like, I'm stuck in a robot death machine, I constantly have to look for a power outlet or else I'm going to shut down, but I don't want to go back to my old form, that's not who I am. And you see as the story progresses that that life wasn't really all that awesome to begin with. So I just, again, I thought it was one of those things where I, like, really understood the character of Zero, and he wasn't just fighting an evil corporation, corrupt state, all this other stuff. He was fighting himself, and he's using his heroic adventures to deal with that. So, if nothing else, I mean, you could name this character something completely different. it would still be fundamentally a great Marvel
1: character. This is a guy who, like, the way, he, the way he's introduced to us, he thrives on agency, and he doesn't feel like he's had a lot. Now he has a lot. And if that yeah. means, and this is a guy who thrives on information, obviously he's hip to the old surfing the web and all this stuff, you know, you know, all the, uh, you know, uh, data hacking and, you know, being a courier for that kind of thing for him to have his consciousness in a robot killing machine with chains with a laser chainsaw that now he could do something about all the things that he, that he's seen. I think that's more important to him than having, you know, a liver. <laughs>
2: The the other thing I love about this book, like just the aesthetic, I don't know if you
0: guys remember the movie Hackers from like oh, yeah. around I was this time. Just yes, thinking about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I was going to check to oh see oh when that God. came out because that had to have been like ninety two or ninety three. But go ahead. I know. All, all I was going to say is like I don't know if there was something in the air back then, but the,
2: the ninety five. Name- Going through this, I was like, where have I heard all this nonsense before? And I was like, oh, yeah. And I think the main character in that movie is even zero-something. It, it's uh, it's like...
1: Crash Override and then Zero Cool. <laughs> you had those at what? the right? He ready. was Zero Cool and then you Crash s- Override. That's Serious. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's the guy who's later Sherlock Holmes, right? Johnny Miller or something? Yeah, it was Johnny Miller. I
2: don't yeah. know if you ever played Sherlock Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah,
1: he's yeah. on the TV show Elementary.
2: Oh, okay, very good, very good. Yeah, very
1: good. what a great show. Don't watch it. Um, <laughs> CBS, baby, the hit. Uh, <laughs> so, so, like, hackers, like, I got, like, I was at Upward Bound. And, like, I was going to have to go to uh, 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 a leadership convention that weekend for Upward Bound. And I'd never flown before. So like, and I got a girlfriend this week too. And I never done no smooching, but we rented Hackers and like, I wanted to kiss her so bad. And I was so scared, right? Like we're watching hackers, and Angelina Jolie's hot, and these people are just—they're hacking stuff. The internet looks cooler than it can ever actually be. You know, it's like—it's like pieces of data just like floating through the air, like—and then like boom, boom, boom—you boom. get in like this supercharged tunnel. It's not like you're just, you're just refreshing you are just repressing Facebook again and again. Like it's not cool at all. I finally, because I was going to fly the next day and I was worried I'd die in a plane crash and I didn't want to die in a plane crash and never having smooched a lady I worked up the courage to give her a smooch Let me tell you something, it wasn't very good I wasn't very good at it But that's my hacker story You guys were like, did he steal Hacker's DVD and get arrested for it? (laughs)
2: I, I honestly I thought you were going to say like, "Oh yeah, I was the child hanging out in uh, Grand Central at one of those scenes or something." Like it would, right. it would not surprise me if you were like, "Oh yeah, I was I was in that movie. I was in Hacker. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was uh, I was serial killer turns out.
0: <laughs> you, you know you know I, this movie oh, really well. Okay, I'm looking it's an at the name for
1: my yeah. Wow, dude. Oh, I, I also genuinely like it and think it's a good movie, a fun movie. it's a fun movie. I mean, you know, a lot of people, you know, would be in it. They'd go on to be in other things that you know we would That was the first time we had seen them. Like the guy who played Shaggy. I was gonna oh, say that's who that Matthew, was, right? That's Matthew serial Lillard. killer
2: is the guy who plays Shaggy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah this, okay. is a, that No, that's a different guy. I, I have no idea what his name yeah. is, but, but when he's you also said... in Scream and stuff. Like he did Ma- Matthew
0: Lillard. That's it, Matthew
1: Lillard. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Jesse Bradford did
1: you remember this? It everything? Oh my God, that's so important!
2: The three of us have an insurmountable amount of useless knowledge. It is just—it's truly impressive.
1: Yeah, useless. well, if, listen—if we ever go play trivia, we'll win. I've never mm. lost, and um, uh, and the nice. team name is always Team Robocop. Oh, nice, very good. That's always my trivia name. It was my name in our sim baseball league that I just won the World Series in, and I didn't think about it, but we play. But I put him in Detroit. Ooh. And Tiger Stadium 71 because it's a fair I wanted a stadium that was fair for pitchers and hitters. But then Emily pointed out, she's like, You put them in Detroit and their team Robocop. Oh my god, these <laughs> people are going nuts. And I was like, Oh, yeah, it's probably OC Park, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the
2: the only other thing that really jumped out of me that I found so distracting was the, the antagonist throughout this book is called Jeter, and I was just yeah. shocked because it's like this book came out in 1994 and Derek Jeter joins the Yankees in 1995. So it's just one of those weird things where like if this had come out six months later, no one would have used that name for this like random antagonist. And the entire time I'm reading it, I'm like, is this... Is this on purpose? Is there something I don't know about Derek Jeter and I? I looked it up and it's like no, they missed each other completely. But every time I read that, you know, Jeter murdered me. I'm, I'm picturing I'm picturing the New York Yankee murdering this poor uh, half Asian gentleman.
1: Same, <laughs> and you're right. I don't think Lynn Kaminsky was like a big like Columbus Clippers fan, which is where like <laughs> Jeter would have played his A ball at the time. You know. <laughs> but but like the same thing like it took me a while and every time like he would say jeter that's to them i'm like the captain god same here
0: same i you know i'm totally missed my chance to talk about uh, in issues one through three but i i uh, the brutality of what ghost rider slash zero does to jeter is just yeah. amazing <laughs> when
1: ghost in the shell standalone complex started airing on uh Cartoon Network, one of the promos was like, in the very near future, being human will become a liability. And that's the thing with this guy. He took off his defenses. This is like, this is like how he drives. This is how he gets around. This is how he defends himself. He had probably set his body up to get nutrients through that stuff. This is horrific. He may not have literally cut his arm off, but it, is worse in many ways within the context of this society and that character. Especially those guys, because, like, we learned that, like, oh, man, you know what they love? Getting the hardware, baby! (laughs) You know, so he probably had all kinds of neat stuff. And now it's gone, and that's probably who he was. I bet we see him again.
0: I don't know. I only read issue eight. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I think all my notes here. I really. I just. I, I was making more commentary on the appearance of Ghost Rider Zero here. Uh, he has these laser eyes now. I. I don't. I can't remember if we see that in issues one through three, but he's. It, they're definitely on display here in four, five, and six. He's got. So he's got these eye beams he can shoot out. He's got like a liquid metal arm that he can. You know, mal. It's a malleable arm to where he can make like fingers and claws out of it. Uh, There is a point. I wrote it down here. That yep, I seen that. (laughs) There's a point where he actually says, "I'll be back." And uh, yeah, so I'm like, man, this has got Terminator elements all over it. Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, there is like leaning into some of the great film references, the the horror related, the sci-fi related references. Uh, It's it all works too because this rendition of Ghost Rider just looks badass and can yeah. you know it's it, it's amazing uh also quick shout out to the Chicago Agogo go go travel guide I you know I would be lost if it wasn't for those little things on the side there telling me where <laughs> we were and giving me uh giving me some uh, not really making me want to travel to transverse city but uh and the roads leading there but either way it was Somebody it was fun <laughs> so, but anyway uh, I, I love details like
2: that, though, because right. you know, they, he's really taking advantage of the fact that the, the world of tomorrow, the 2099, it's still being fleshed out. You know, right. he can play with as much as you want, you know, especially in Marvel. It's not often where someone's like, I'm going to invent a brand new city and you guys can play with it if you want. But I'm going to lay down all the rules for this, you know, and I, I loved I loved that, that was one of the things they did in 2099 where it was like you know California is a barren wasteland but there's this beautiful uh, tropical paradise in the middle of it New York is built so far up that it's like six cities vertically and you know this random one is where you know Detroit used to connect to Chicago and I thought like great you are you are using the the fact that the world is still being built from scratch and I thought that was great um, but the the other thing that I really liked about you know you're describing the the look and feel of ghost Rider and and again I, I feel like I'm being paid by Len Kaminsky but it's like I love the fact that they never nail down what the body can do and like Mm, narratively it's great because you allow the character to work in a bunch of different very imaginative ways like it's not like he just has the one power or that it has anything to do with the old ghost riders fire and brimstone it's like he's in a robot body and it can do a variety of things but I'm going to wait to see what the story demands and again it's this like it's this e- economy of abilities. It's like he has laser beams when the story calls for it and he's fighting police officers, but they got giant mechs or he's fighting Spider-Man. He knows he can't kill him, but he's not as fast as that guy. Like it's it's this type of story where it's like the character can do whatever the story needs him to do, but it's still, the world is imagined enough where you can still follow it. And I thought that was great. It was like, you know, he's clearly very powerful, but Zero is learning the body as the reader is. And I just, I really appreciated that from a storytelling point of view.
0: It's great stuff.
1: Yeah, like when he learns when he fights Spider-Man that apparently if he jumps from like thirty-nine thousand stories up and hits the ground, he'll reboot. He'll reboot. <laughs> so that's you know, what a way to find out. That's a little later, but still, you know, the, the, you're right. He 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 just assumes he can do whatever he needs to do at any given time and gives it the shot.
2: It's so funny because before you made the joke about you know Shazam, but in a lot of ways that's that's exactly what this is, right? Because yes, he's like. Yes. He's a he's a young guy. He had no port to put his ship in. He really just like this listless person. And he gets through a series of events, he gets thrown into this giant unbreakable form that doesn't look like him unless he wants it to like last time i checked that was the captain marvel story so it's just
1: yeah also information peddler (laughs) you know i I mean like seriously like even before billy Batson sold the newspapers on the corner this guy is hacking data and getting it somewhere you know i mean it's not exactly the same but it's not un analogous no,
2: you're. I mean, you're absolutely right. Yeah, like Billy sold papers, Freddie sold comics, and they all worked for a radio station, which at the time would have been the the height of that stuff. So no, yeah. you're you're not you're not wrong. I, I mean, the Ghost Works is not dissimilar from the Rock of Eternity if you really yeah, think about the it, wizard right?
1: Himself, Shazam. Yeah. So yeah. no, you're. You know, I mean, I hadn't really thought about that until you mentioned it. But those those allegories, you know, work. I don't know if they were intentional or not, but you know, they certainly work if you want them to be there.
2: Yeah, I think Shazam is just one of those characters where he arrives fully formed in his first couple of issues that he can't help to inform everything that comes later. I mean whether yeah. it's Captain America and Thor clearly had an impact on Kirby, Spider-Man, like Captain Marvel's DNA is in every superhero comic that comes after his first appearance.
1: I I believe that anyway. No, it, I think it's 100% true. You know, ultimately with Captain Marvel and also here Zero, it's Zero is more brutal about it, but they're both Kind power fantasy. Like when Billy Batson becomes Captain Marvel, the first thing he does is not go find the bully who's been bullying him and like kick him in the nuts. Like he's like, well, better save the world from Dr. Savannah's you know, I don't know, Armadillo Ray, gonna turn everybody in Botswana into Armadillos, whatever the fuck Sibana would have done. Zero does something similar, you know, like, you know, when he gets his power, the first thing he does is attack the fascist cops and the people who murdered him and his friends. You know, like, so I, I... They're not bullies, these are bad people, so... And the first thing he did was not be like, oh... Now I could go get a bunch of money or do whatever I want. and So I think that's a very interesting allegory
2: there. Yeah. And that, that's a good point too. You know, most of his story is driven by needing to help someone else, you know, whether yeah. it's, yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting too, because it's, it's not that he gets all this power and suddenly it's like, oh man, it's my time. It's like, oh no, now I get to all this power and I can show the rest of you how I viewed myself in my head because I'm no longer restrained by anything else. I mean, most of his, his adventures are trying to either save someone or, or right a wrong. And it's not because he had a moral crisis. It's because like, oh, I finally can show you how I see things. So I I, I thought that was really good. He got
1: agents. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, that's the thing with, 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 with zero, that's the most important thing to, as far as his character to me is he wants to have control and, you know, and he laments it when he has to go and ask, uh, I forget the, the person's name, but he has to go ask for power and he has to go do this. He's like, gotta do some fast talking here. Mm. I wish I didn't have to ask again. I wish these things were different. Mm. Anesthesia. To have a lot an of Anesthesia scrollable. Jones. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Anastasia. Fantasia
1: Jones? Anesthesia. Anastasia, Anastasia. Mm. Anastasia. Yeah, who is a great character, by the way. Yeah. Like, I love her, especially she's like, I'll give you all the juice you want because you're going to keep these cops busy. I'm trying mm. to do crime stuff. All this will right. be great for me.
0: What an interesting thing like you got to go find a chick to you know (laughs) plug yourself in of course the thing is like this massive generator yeah it looks like this huge like nuclear uh generator or something that apparently it's uh, in demand, I guess. He plugs it um, into
1: the side of his head like, you know, like it takes up almost the whole thing. I don't know if y'all have ever seen a uh, Barscape, but it looks sort of like when Scor- there's a guy named Scorpius who has to yeah. take a thing out of his head. It's some kind of rod that keeps him cool or something and he burns it out. And like it kind of looked like when he's putting that in.
2: Yeah, Dean, that was a great setting, too. The, uh, the, the the, bar is
0: called the barcode. Barcode. <laughs> right, yeah. right,
1: right. Oh, they've got it all.
0: <laughs> Dean, did you have anything here on these three issues that you yeah, wanted to you about?
1: Yeah, you know, um, number one, one of the things that we haven't really talked about is the TV subplot. Where there's this reporter who's been oh. reporting on, uh, and I don't know that we ever hear his name. I can't remember it. We do. I
0: had it written down. You know, or
1: it's very quick. You know, but he is reporting on the happenings: Ghost Rider attacking the cops, and Willis. Uh, uh, it's Willis. What's is his, his name. name? Willis. Willis. That's a good yeah, report. Reports for Mainline Media. Mainline Media. You know, he's trying. You know, he decides for whatever reason he's trying to get the truth out there. He's able to get an interview with Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider mentions demonics. They pull the feed. They've got it apparently know, on at least a five-second delay. He learns a lesson that, you know, as I worked in media that you learn. And I don't know how this guy I could have worked for mainline media and not known it. But, like, his boss is like the public traded away their right to know – for the chance to watch a long time ago and we have to play nice with big corporations at my first tv job which is in a small town station in arkansas my brother had ran into some unfortunate circumstances and he was incarcerated at the time and i went to the tv station and my, my brother told me he goes there's a big hole in the fucking roof of this jail because like, it's leaking water like rats come out of it and i'm like well maybe they'll do a story on it You know, because, like, it's taxpayer money and shit. And I go to, like, our lead anchor. He's like, no, we're not going to do anything about that. I was like, what? He's like, it's an unpopular story. He's like, two things. He goes, number one, nobody cares about prisoners. I was like, they don't care about their tax dollars. He's like, they do, but, like, they would just, it, it won't affect anything. And he's like, number two, if we do a story that makes the jail look bad, they might not call us when there's a drug bust. So we don't want to do that kind of thing and ruin our relationships with the police. I tell everybody, I'm like, this was a small station in Arkansas. Now, can you imagine what like the FBI can do to CNN? Can you imagine what, you know, like we had another time where they, we did a story on funnily named businesses and we did one on a state on a business called Stop and Give Us a Break. It's a break shop. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> another uh, break shop like sponsored the news. They called and pulled it that day. Like I remember having to take the billboards out of the news with about... 20 minutes to go before the 6 p.m. newscast. We wound up running another story in the 10 p.m. newscast that night being really nice about this other break place, how great they were. Oh, the client comes back. How about that? That's great. Now, what can General Motors do to MSNBC?
0: Right. Dude.
1: You know what I mean? And that's just the fact. And, right, this, and again, I come back to this again. Kaminsky was calling it as it was. It was that way then. It'll be that way in 2099. It'll be that way now unless somebody like Zero can change the whole game. And speaking of Zero, like you said, he has all these weapons. Like, he's got that laser chainsaw. He shoots the fucking, you know, laser beams. He's got the, the hand. What else would you like to see him have? Like, I'd want to see some other weapon.
0: I mean, and not only that, I mean, when you say weapons, I mean, he's got this cloaking device he can use. Right, that, right, right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty uh, pretty powerful as well. What Other weapons, I mean, there's got to be a flamethrower involved here at some point. Okay, (laughs) oh my goodness, I
1: wish his chest opened up and shot missiles like he was Sector from like World of Combat 3. Just I really like the cop vehicles in this. I like that he tears apart the cops too, obviously. But one of the attack units they look like the ED 209, kind of, but they're piloted. I don't know what the, the street sweeper looks like an evil train. Like, it's just like as big as the whole lane, and it's got like the big cattle guard thing, and he's yep. got to run away from it. He can't seem to uh, deal with it. I, it. It's funny. The cops come out with everything, every kind of trooper. You know what I mean? And they do everything. They can't quite get Ghost Rider down. And I think what they should have done is they should have called the guy— with the knife from Madison Square Garden from the Carnage series, gotten got him to go after Ghost Rider 2099. That's to be his knife. grandson. Maybe what you needed was somebody crazy to get close enough to use it.
0: This dude has like the greatest. Uh, what was he? One panel, maybe two, <laughs> and he has lived for so long in these podcasts and our messages. <laughs> it's amazing. We keep we keep the spirit of. Uh, that crazy fucker alive here. That's for damn sure.
1: But for real though, I do love the police. I love the police vehicles. I really think. I really think that they like because it's different times where like Ghost Rider seems to get over on them And they get over on him, and they make it feel like this is kind of a, a battle that would go back and forth. They'd adjust, Ghost Rider would adjust, etc. Um, uh, so I really, I really do like that. But uh, yeah, maybe if he had been there, they could have solved the problem sooner. He's ready to party. He belongs in Transverse City.
0: I'll, yeah. I'll agree. I'll agree.
1: He should have been in that rave, actually. The rave <laughs> oh. was like between Ramps 15 and 17.
0: <laughs> boom, 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 boom. That's my
1: impression of a rave.
0: All right. All right. Well, let's go ahead. Uh, we'll get into finishing this up. Issue seven and eight. Uh, so we got to, you know, hey, Dean, it was funny uh, just to let everybody know when we started. Thinking about doing this podcast, Dean's like, ah, six issues. Yeah. <laughs> no, five. Started at five. Started yeah. at five, if I remember right. It was one through yeah. five. And then we went to six. And then seven, you're like, holy shit, there's Spider Man 29 and I. Okay, we got to do seven. And then we're like, ah, you know what? Let's do eight because it's going to wrap things up. now that's perfectly fine with me. I have no problem with the, as It was as, hard you're to right.
1: find, uh, like, you know, like Neri said, uh we were talking, this isn't written for trade. So it's hard to find a line of clear. Demarcation. Honestly, we could have kept going. Like, there's still stuff kind of hanging in the air after eight, but it is a neat enough break for us to, you know, get off the uh on ramp ninety three or whatever in
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and and as I get to the end, I mean, I think it, you, you'd picked a good spot because we're there's a few mysteries that are kind of i'll say mysteries, but there's a few plot threads that are happening here. We've got. Obviously, Ghost Rider wanting to exact vengeance. Zero wanting to exact vengeance for what's happened to him. Uh, he's running to his dad now at demonics. We learned that he's, you know, his dad works for the evil corporation that put the hit out on him. And of course, his, his girlfriend is now captured. Uh, so, what exactly is going on here? We we got to find out what. We couldn't end this at six and not know what happened to Kylie. So we've got to get that answer. But you know, when you throw Spider-Man in there. 2099, Issue 7, we've got to talk about that. Okay, and our creative team for Issues 7 and 8, Len Kaminsky writing both issues, Pictures by Kyle Hotz on both issues, Letters by Richard Starkings with Comicraft on both issues, and Christy Shield with Heroic Age on Colors, Issue 7, and then just Heroic Age on Issue 8. Issue number 7 has a cover date of November 1994 with a story titled, Been Caught Stealing. And then issue number 8 has a cover date of December of 1994 with a story titled, The Persistence of Memory. So in New York, Ghost Rider heads to Alchemax and infiltrates the facility with ease, pretty easily. Finding a canister with the element he needs in a lab that is currently occupied by one... Miguel O'Hara now this the element that I'm going to keep talking about this in this canister I didn't even put it in my synopsis because I think it's just something crazy but either you need this thing to make the neutropine in order to save Kylie so that's what he's going after uh so yes the lab is currently occupied by one Miguel O'Hara the Spider-Man of 2099. When Zero breaks into the lab, Miguel is like, I'll just call security, Uh, calls in security, causing Zero to jump out of the building with the canister in hand. Uh, Getting attacked in midair, Ghost Rider falls down and actually goes through the roof of a building onto the ground. And he's like Dean said, he's shut down. Soon, Miguel changes into Spider-Man and looks to find the canister Ghost Rider stole because if that stuff gets out, it's very dangerous. Bad news, bad news. So finding Ghost Rider, Spider-Man tries to snatch the canister with, and, it's, uh, and swing away, but a fight ensues. When a building is about to collapse, Spider-Man leaps to save some squatters while Ghost Rider grabs the canister and leaves, heading back to Transverse City to get, get it back to Max Synergy. Once there, Max says he will gladly create the neutropine, but Ghost Rider will owe him a favor as a payment administering the drug kylie isn't waking up so zero plans to head into her mind to try and get her to wake up inside kylie's mind zero sees the world through kylie's eyes at a young age seeing how her father this is interesting her father became a suicide stunt man and her mom tried to talk him out of it but when he, she did that she went there to confront him and say hey don't do this there is this horrible accident that happens and kills like multiple people including her parents Horrible story. Uh, there are also memories about Zero where at one point, now you guys correct me if I'm wrong because, man, we we just did a sleepwalker issue. Of, you know, when you jump into people's heads, of course you got to try and interpret what in the world is going on there. And the artist and the storyteller has to also have you understand what is happening. So there, there's a part where Zero walks in, I think it's like after Kylie and him have made love. She's talking to him. And it's like He learns that she actually never loved him. Is that what you guys got from that?
1: No. She loves him so much, she's coming up with defenses for herself. Okay. Like, oh, I could ditch this guy anytime, this kind of thing. And she especially loves him after what's gone, they've gone through together here. Okay. All right. But, like, he interprets it the way it appears on the surface.
0: Like I did. Because I right, was like, right, right. I'm sitting there looking at him like, is because there's like a, a mention about fifty dollars and yeah, but yeah, and look and, at her
1: when she when she, the fifty bucks. She is crying and pounding his chest, being like, "You can't be dead. You still owe me fifty bucks." Have you ever cared that much about fifty dollars in your life? I listen, I listen. You were seven once. I'll give it to you if you were <laughs> seven. It was fifty dollars. <laughs> My God, that's like twenty million dollars for seven. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, for real, she's using that as a screen. She doesn't care that much about him. She cares about his money. She cares because I could be done with him anytime I want it. You know, I've met friends and stuff who do that. That's the impression I got. Uh, okay. Derry,
2: what do you think? I agree. The whole thing seemed like Zero wanted to see a way out. He he wanted to know that, like, you know, he had the breakdown with his dad earlier, where he confronts him and says, "Hey, I'm alive." And then they both kind of realize, like, yeah, we don't we don't care. You know, the father son relationship is 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 terrible. The father's more committed to his job to his career than he was ever committed to his son. It's and like a I feel like. <laughs> Bastard. Yeah, exactly. And Zero just seems to to expect the worst. So when he sees this stuff through the lens of memory of a, of a person who's asleep, it's kind of like, oh, I, I knew this was going to be here. I was looking for this. And then, yeah, it's it's just seen from a certain point of view. But it, it adds good drama and good tension that I, I imagine is going to be resolved
0: before uh, we get to issue 25. So yeah, I, I, I read that the same way. OK, finally, uh, Zero finds a memory door that is open. Uh, by the way, he's like breaking into these memory doors uh, in order to find out what's going on in there. He finally finds one that's open. And it's Kylie, who is apparently reliving the moment over and over when she finds Zero's dead body. She's pounding on it just yeah, like she Dean doesn't said.
1: care about him. <laughs> she doesn't love him at all. She's stuck in this moment where she's Zero Zero's an idiot in regard to this, if you ask me, unless it's like Derry said and he's purposely misinterpreting this because I didn't get that feeling. I just felt like he's, a, he's an idiot, you know? Like, I he's you. just, you know, but this might be a defense mechanism for him too. But I'm just like, obviously this lady loves you. Quit being stupid. Right, yes. right.
0: Well, so she's, you know, she's pounding on his chest. You still owe me $50. Finally, Zero like is like, hey, I'm here. Tell me what you need to tell me. And she explains kind of how she really feels. uh, And when she does this, she awakens. So apparently she had to get past that in order to wake up. So when she wakes up, she sees Ghost Rider standing there. So this isn't Zero. You know, this wasn't the man that was just in her head. This is the Ghost Rider, you know, Zero as the form of Ghost Rider. And he tells her, that Zero's dead and let him rot because he cared for no one but himself. So obviously Zero's coming to terms with kind of what he he is. Or maybe he's just like, hey, you know, we, we got to end this and uh, I'm, I was, that way I could be on my way. But either way, let him rot, cared for no one but himself. Uh, Ghost Rider grabs his bike and sets out to find Ghostworks. As he learns earlier in the series, I think it was in this issue or the issue before, they conditioned him not to reveal anything to the human world about their existence. And now Zero wants answers. To wrap this up, at Demonix, Harrison Cochran explains to the holographic CEO, which I don't know if we get his name in these first, like, eight issues. Kellerman. Uh, maybe You got it. Yeah, Dyson Kellerman. That he tried to erase all evidence of the existence of a son after he found out he was a data thief. Kellerman wants to use the Ghost Rider as a threat to motivate the public to give up certain freedoms for a war against Ghost Rider. And he wants Harrison to find out how Ghost Rider was created and how he can be destroyed. So he deepfakes a threat and gives it to the media in the form of Ghost Rider. So at the end of this, Ghost Rider is like on television, uh, you know, threatening basically everybody. And and now the public is going to be scared and probably frightened, uh, along with being mad and angry. And that's kind of where we end things. We got Ghost Rider going to be a public enemy number one, probably. There we go. Dean Compton, we'll start with you, buddy. What do you think of these? We're wrapping it up. We've got Spider-Man 2099 happening here. We've got the uh, resolution between Zero and Kylie,
1: We definitely wrap up where he's going to see the Ghostworks. One of the things that happened uh, earlier that I think is neat here, like, he's mad that the Ghostworks won't let him talk. Like, they've got some control over him. Again, agency is a big deal to zero. But one of the things that we didn't mention is when he destroyed the disc, they were like, good. that Because they tell him that, like, Oh, we need you to be our avatar, baby. You know, go take care of those evil corporate guys. But they seem to be really concerned with the revelation of their existence, which, let's be honest, you know, it could be dangerous to them. But also, this is really secretive, you know. So I wonder, one of the things that has me interested going forward is what, you know, what exactly is the ghost works and what exactly is their relationship to the human world and why, why, why all this secrecy? Another like narrative that's really cool here is the ghost works for like we can't send in an army. We got to use you as kind of a symbol. And if we use you as a symbol, kind of a catalyst, it will work more efficiently than if we send in an army. Well, that gets inverted by Kellerman, who's like, "Oh, I can use, I can do the same thing, but I can invert this. I just, I can use him as a symbol for chaos and a symbol for bedlam, and I can promise the, uh, I can promise you a lot more security." So again, Kaminsky writing about things that were happening in '92 that still resonate now. The thing, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I'm a big fan of Spider-Man uh, 2099. One day, me and Emily were like, you know, messing around, playing with, you know, my action figures or whatever. And she's like, here, you know, she's like, oh, here I come, Spider-Man 2099. I was like, you know they don't call him that, right? She's like, what? <laughs> I was like, they just call him Spider-Man. Like, we call him Spider-Man 2099. I call and him He might M- be called that if he's hanging out with other Spider-Mans. But, like, he, he he's just Spider-Man. Like, this is just Ghost Rider. And she's like, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, because I'm, I'm being pedantic. I love how he is so committed to the downtrodden. When they fight, his primary concern is making sure nobody gets hurt. And I also like how he was actually willing to listen to Ghost Rider. Even if Ghost Rider did not take him up on it, he did put this forth. He's like, well, what do you, what do you need it for? You know, he understands why you would steal from, you know, Alcamax He hates this place as much as, uh... Any money. Right. Yeah. um so it was It was cool to see them interact this had an old school marvel feel with the fight i think spider-man acted a little more peter parker than like he was very flippant it seemed and i know miguel o'hara makes jokes but these felt more like contemporary spider-man than spider-man 2099 jokes but all in all it's a fun crossover and we wrap things up pretty neatly with him you know Not getting the girl, which is what he didn't want. You know, he wants to separate himself. I'm very interested to see what happens with the ghost works next. And that's, you know, really high praise. Mm
0: -hmm. Can I say that I have a theory, but I I have no idea. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of tie to the ghost Rider mythology. And you guys may know, or definitely know better than I do as what future issues come. But uh, is like the Darkhold a thing at all in this book? I don't think so. Okay. All right. I was yeah. thinking, I was like, man, if Ghostworks is like a representation of like the dark hold after somebody scanned it onto the internet, what a fucking thing Ooh, that would be. <laughs> I like it. I like that. Yeah. It's pretty good. That's oh, great. I like that <laughs> a lot. Uh, uh, but anyway.
1: In um, one of the letters pages, they mentioned like, will there be a blaze yeah, 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 2099? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, honestly, that's what they should have done with if they had like moved the spirit of vengeance forward. Yeah. You know, like, that actually would have been a really good way to do it, like, maybe, and I, I would have been, like, it, it's just Johnny Blaze, like, he can't die, like, it's part of the curse, you know, All what right, happened. Right. Yeah. and it's also important to note, I think, as far as future uh, Ghost writers, they do do the spirit of vengeance, like, in Guardians of the Galaxy, and it works very well. You know, I mean, like, I really enjoy that character, but I'm equally glad that this has nothing to do with the, that mythos.
2: Jim Valentino, man, when he was doing Guardians, he was like, everyone you love from the 90s is still alive a thousand years from now. Like, they <laughs> fight they fight every version of the character. It's like Aaron's Avengers. It's insane.
1: Yeah, or at least <laughs> the idea is like, yes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, but here's a planet of Punishers.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, we, we can't... Uh, leave you out of this conversation about Spider-Man here. Miguel, Derry. tell us what are your thoughts here, man? Issue 7, issue 8. What are your what are what are you thinking? I I was really happy to see a crossover
2: with Spidey. You guys are absolutely right. It is the most old school issue. Of all time. It's just like, I don't know if an editor came to Kaminsky and said, you need to include him. Or he was just like, hey, you know, I want to bump up the sales and remind people we got this new character here. I'm going to do basically a one shot that really isn't tying into the main, you know, the the MacGuffin chemical he goes to find is completely, it turns out completely unimportant to the whole thing, because obviously he ends up having to go into her mind anyway. So Mm -hmm. it's just a fun story. It's the type of thing where like, if you were just reading Spider-Man, you could justify picking up that issue and you'd get the high points of Ghost Rider. Maybe you hang around, you know, for the next couple. So I I really appreciated that. I, I love Alchem X as a story thing because, you know, it sounds like the word alchemy. It's super evil. It's, you know, it's got this long, complicated history that they deal with in Spider-Man. So it's one of those Great big superhero ideas. It's like, I'm going to Nueva York. I'm going to break into this company. I'm going to have to fight someone. Is it going to be Spider Man or some genetic terror that they keep in the basement? So it's just one of those oh. things where, like, I love this world. And the fact that Marvel keeps setting stories here every couple of years means uh, we're not alone. So I, I really appreciated it. Issue eight though was my favorite of all eight, just because of how completely insane it is. Like I got to that, and I had to make sure that Len Kaminsky was still writing it, because you guys haven't even mentioned there's a subplot involving Gregor NYPD, which is like based on the the Stranger or whatever. It's it's yeah, just,
1: the Kafka shit.
2: Oh my god, it's insane. Yeah, and then they mentioned
1: the trial.
2: Yeah, I, I'm reading this. I'm like, I guess he got comfortable with his literary references, and there's a whole like part of this episode that is all about Kafka. And it's like, congratulations, man, you are working stuff into this comic that no one else is doing.
1: And it's I probably I, my second favorite Kafka reference of all time. My first being uh, on the cartoon Home Movies when Dwayne wants to write a rock opera based on The Metamorphosis. <laughs>
2: I, I don't know that one, but I I, I You I watch can't. Bob's Burgers? No no I, I, I remember home movies. I oh, just okay. don't remember that episode. Yeah. And, and I was gonna and say it's the me.
1: same Bob's Burgers people. Yeah, do, yeah, like yeah. yeah like yeah. Unless you're me and I'm like, I only watch home movies.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the ending was great because it does it does what the best superhero comics do, which is the biggest, most important threat. Isn't all the science fiction nonsense you're going to fight? It's dealing with the person you love or dealing with the person you've tried to convince yourself you love. And having him go in here, having him do this Matrix story again, five, six years before the Matrix even came out, just pulling from that same material and saying, This is us stripped of everything else. What is it we feel about each other and how can we come away with it? And of course, it doesn't work. You know, I love that. I love that they go into the most personal space and what do they do? They do what human beings do. They say, No, you know what? I don't need you. I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna be on my own thing. I can't run the risk that I'm gonna get hurt again. And I love that because it sets up a future conflict, but you can clearly tell he's head over heels for this girl, uh, that he was willing to go to such lengths to bring her back. And, uh, you know, she's gonna have to process that and I'm sure it's gonna come up later, but it was just one of those things where it was like, you know, if this had been a trade of one through eight and I'd gotten my hands on it, I would have immediately looked for the next volume. It just, it did the job a good comic does. The Kafka stuff, right over my head guys i'm glad you guys had no fucking clue what was
0: going on there there's a cockroach going around with a cop all right great um
1: you know another thing that happens here too is the suicide stunt person again drawing from different elements of uh cyberpunk dystopian futures here's your running man here's your hunger games here's your turkey suit uh squid game what have you You know, because, like, that is a common trope where people who are quote-unquote useless should just go be... You know, should die for entertainment. Basically, I think it's amazing how uh, Kaminsky was able to get in like so many of these tropes, and they it just all feels very natural. Not only in the world of Ghost Rider 2099, but the world of 2099 uh, in a greater sense. Like I would totally believe it if people in New York were all of a sudden like, "Yeah, my aunt's a suicide stuntman now." Don't tell the public, I. <laughs> You know, just that, like if you put this forth, like this was the best, if you said this was the best 2099 book, I think someone would be hard pressed to disagree with you. I think there are others that are really good, but this goes beyond standard superhero fair in a way that the others don't quite, uh, in my opinion. Maybe later with some of the Warren Ellis stuff, you know, maybe gets a little bit more into this, but this one has everything from just incredibly funny in jokes to scathing meta commentary about the society then and the society now and probably the society that always has been you know i just highly recommend it i think i think that it is an overlooked and underrated piece of marvel from the 90s yeah i agree with you
2: I also agree. I, I I feel like the biggest stumbling block of why more people haven't seen this is it's just they see Ghost Rider twenty ninety-nine and they see these these covers and it's just like, oh, that's not gonna be for me. And it's like, no, it is it is for you. Believe me, if you like anything, you're gonna like something here. And it's it's one of these things where I almost wish this had been a creator-owned book. You know, we yeah. mentioned Warren Ellis a few times, but only a couple of years after this he would launch Transmed for the the, the late and lamented Helix line at DC. This book feels like it should have come out there. You you know, if if Len Kaminsky had put this idea in his back pocket and held on to it for a few more years, someone would have been like, "Hey, you got a cyberpunk book?" And he would have been like, "Yes, just give me a couple seconds. I gotta, you know, find and replace Ghost Rider in all my scripts. But give me to the end of the day, and I'll definitely get Uh, you." strider. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right. (laughs) It's
2: uh, it's it's the Highwayman. But uh, no, to 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 your guys' point, it's it's a great 2099 book. But it's so good it doesn't need to be a 2099 book. Like, it has nothing to do with Ghost Rider. It's really about the moment that it came out. Uh, And it it is an amazing, amazing example of of retro cyberpunk. I mean, if, if you like The Matrix, any of the movies we've referenced, please pick this up. It holds up. The terms work. The guy clearly knew what he was doing. The closest contemporary I can think of from this period of time would be the book Chase. At DC. I don't know if you guys ever read yeah, that. Yeah, we,
1: we, uh, Emily wrote a, uh, she wrote an article about it, a site about Chase.
2: There you go. Yeah. The the only real crossover there is that book was all about like, she was an investigator and she spent a lot of time on, again, whatever the internet looked like in the mid 90s. And there there was a lot of themes there. And, and the person who wrote that book also knew what they were talking about. So the terms held up. But it's this type of thing where it's like you were trying to talk about something that only became more crucial as time went on. So just, it's a rewarding work, and if you can get your hands on it, please read it.
0: Yeah, I, I will echo both you guys here. I was telling Dean and, and Derry before getting on here that it was uh, saw 2099 books sitting on the shelves, and I had my nose turned up in the air. No way was I going to read some kind of copy why? of whatever.
1: Here, let me ask you why. I was just excited about them because like, oh man, I love Spider-Man, but there's all this shit. This can be my Spider-Man. All
0: right. Right. You know, like
1: I'll be here from the ground floor. So again, you don't have to feel the same way, but what exactly about them made you so snooty? Are you just a bad person?
0: Uh, yes, <laughs> no, I fucking forgot guys. how old I was. So this is '94, and I don't have time for anything that's got the Comics Code Authority on the front of it.
2: <laughs> mm, nice, nice, very, so, very
0: nice. So
1: you got the big deal. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, th- that's just the way it was. I'm reading Savage Dragon, and i we got Spider-Man 2099. We got Ghost Rider 2099. These are The thing is, is that my conception was these are just going to be pale comparisons or copies of what we've already got, and somebody's just going to, oh, we're going to throw it into the future. Whoa. No, it's. Hey,
1: I'm gonna read Doom's 4 by Rob Liefeld. Stuff <laughs> like TV I've seen before.
0: I got the whole <laughs> collection <laughs> sitting right back here. Um, <laughs> how many issues was that? Uh, like three or something. I, anyway, I, I just wasn't picking those up at that time because I didn't. I didn't give them a chance. Yeah. I wasn't in. You mentioned Wizard. I remember them covering some of the stuff in Wizard, and I still wasn't interested. Now, the thing is, is that I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, and these two gentlemen here, that this is a fantastic book. Why wouldn't I have liked this? This is great. This is something that when I read this first time, I told these guys, first time I've read sequential 2099 issues was Ghost Rider 1 through 8 tonight over the past week, making notes, doing whatever. I really enjoyed what I was reading here. This was so different from... What we got, and I think one of the things that I really loved about it was something that's been mentioned here already: is how detached it was from actually Ghost Rider and the mythos. All you see is the appearance. We don't have anything else to really just tie us to Ghost Rider that's happening in, and that's what was absolutely opposite of what my expectation. Was. So you know, Spider-Man 2099.
1: Because you're a Ghost Rider, like I'm, I'm a, ghost a Ghost Rider Mark too. So like, it's funny if you had told me it had nothing to do with it on the front end, I may not have been interested too at the time. I think I just bought it because it looked cool you know i mean mm-hmm. like but like if somebody be like well, has nothing to do with the spirit of vengeance i'd be like i do not know if i'm gonna handle that. <laughs> but like also you're 17 at that time i'm 15 so like 17 and 15 are close but you definitely get a little more snooty when you're 17 <laughs> like you've seen something like it's really weird like i'm not kidding though i can see that if you were 17 versus 15 oh just another new spider-man whatever yeah, but if you're 15, right. i'm like that's a cold <laughs> of course, you're you're too busy with like, listen, I need I need something new. I need something I never seen before, Cyberforce.
0: Right, baby. <laughs> Uh, fucking nineteen
1: eighty six. Uh uh Not me. Uh.
0: Yeah, that, that does movie. that does fall a little bit flat, doesn't it? I wasn't no, seeing no.
1: Honestly, because even if like even if Cyber Force looked a lot like the X Men, and so did the Wildcats, and even if like Young Blood was obviously inspired by the people, there's a lot of excitement there that didn't exist on some of those titles. Without like Young Blood was like an Avengers title, but it was much more exciting to me at the time than the Avengers titles that existed. Mm-hmm. So listen, it was new and exciting and fresh. And all the reasons I said I got on 2099, you got on the image for the same reasons. And I was into image for the same reasons too. So, you know, no, it's not, I'm, I'm 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 taking the piss. But oh, you know, you're you right. Like, Cyberforce, Cyber Force, you know, looks a lot like the X-Men. I've read every issue. Sometimes it confuses me, but I love looking at it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't have really anything bad to say about it. It looks great.
0: All right. All right, folks, we're going to wrap it up here. We have talked Ghost Rider 2099 1 through 8. This has been fun. I will definitely at some point pick up the next few issues and figure out, you know, I want to find out what's going on. What is Ghost Rider's got to find out what's going on with Ghost Works? You know? So let's see what's going to happen. But uh, until then, Let's go ahead. We'll get into plugs. So Dean Compton, tell us about the unspokendecade.com.
1: Well, we're over there doing 90s comic stuff. We're doing, you know, doing these podcasts, too. Uh, SimiFans about to have a new uh, article up. Uh, I've been uh, participating a lot more on Twitter lately. Check us out at unspokendecade. And we're also on Facebook. Look for us there. Uh, Just having fun with 90s stuff, doing it the way it's supposed to be done. Big guns, big pouches. And uh, and Ghost World. So there you go. Right.
0: <laughs> when's the last time Emily was on a podcast? We, we had her on for Star Trek X-Men. Was was she on anything? It's been a while since I've seen her like pl- actually on something, at least that come across my feed. But tell me, when's the last time she was on one?
1: I don't even know. It would have been like twenty nineteen. Probably we haven't when she just hasn't you know, been on one. You know, she likes doing it. She does a great job. So, you know, hopefully, you know, she'll show up again. But, yeah, we had a really good time doing the Star Trek X-Men Next Generation. Uh, so, you know, she'll be around yeah. again. But, yeah, you couldn't really tell that she hadn't done it in a while. She no, man. It's right it was up when she left off.
0: That's right. Yeah, it was great to have her back on. Uh, we had a good discussion there, so go back in the archive, check that out. You know, Borg Sentinels, ladies and gentlemen. That's all you need to say. morphin genes. jeans. Um, all right, yeah. Hey, for myself, you can check out the Source Material Comics podcast where I discuss— it's basically a book club for comics. Uh, upcoming, uh, Derry, Derry may have this on his list to listen to, and that will be me and Mark Radlich sitting down and discussing the Kaiju score— that's going to be a happening here pretty soon. And uh, I know upcoming, probably be before this, but I've got, I know I've plugged it already there. We have The Last Ronin, TMNT, The Last mm. Ronin, going to be showing up next week, along with a tiny little solo episode on Fugitoid. So that I, I was like, who the, nice. who the heck is this Fugitoid guy? Oh, oh yeah. All right. Oh, I'm, I, so I learned myself something. Yeah. It's a great it's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hey, other than that, I think we're getting out of here for Dairy Weight. For Dean Compton, I'm Jesse Starcher. Thank you all for joining us. We'll be talking to you soon. Have a good one. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us. Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon.